Looking to improve your employee retention? Start by perfecting your onboarding and training experience for new hires. Check out Trainual to see how they can help you scale your growth and make onboarding easier and more efficient than ever. Check out the link in the show description or on the Manufacturing Culture Podcast partner page at manufacturingculturepodcast.com. Welcome to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast, where we explore company culture in the fascinating world of manufacturing. I'm your host, Jim Mayer, and this week we have a special guest, Andrew Crow, the leader of the new American manufacturing renaissance. Drew is an influential figure in the industry who strives to expose underserved communities, youth, and political leaders to the vast potential of manufacturing. From being a teenage father and two-time felon, Drew realized the potential of a career in manufacturing and has since dedicated to been dedicated to igniting and energizing American manufacturing. This week, we dive into Drew's inspiring journey and learn about his mission to bridge the workforce and skills gap in the manufacturing industry. Join us for the journey into Andrew's inspiring story and explore his vision for the future of manufacturing. The sense of greater possibilities becomes palpable in his presence, and we are excited to have him on the show. So sit back, relax, and let's talk about the culture of manufacturing. Hey, Andrew, how are you doing today? Man, I am excited and grateful to be here. What an intro. I'm, 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 I'm energized just hearing that. Like, yo, who is this guy? Hey, man, maybe take me on tour with you. Maybe take me on tour with right. you. I'll, I'll be your hype man. I'll, that's all I'll do. I'll just sit there and, and hype you up anywhere you go. Yo, as long as you're cheaper than Jimmy Buffett, let's get it. <laughs> I am 100% cheaper than Jimmy Buffett. Uh, you, maybe a pizza and a six pack yeah, at each stop let's and, and a hotel room and I'm good to go. <laughs> let's get it. Sign. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate you being on, Andrew. Uh, for, for the listeners, uh, I met Andrew last year. Uh, in person, you know, we'd interacted on social media a couple times, but finally met him in person as uh, the filming of Clash of Trades TV show from Project MFG was going on. I was working behind the scenes on the show, and Andrew had an amazing spot on the show uh, as host and judge. Um, but that's not really where Andrew uh, affected my personal life to me. And uh, up until that point, he was just, he was a really neat figure, an influencer, a leader in the industry until I heard him speak to a group of young people. And Andrew, if you don't mind, I'm going to tell the story real quick and, and yeah. add any color. Um, but this, this changed the dynamic and, and the relationship that, that I had with Andrew. We were sitting in a room full of, were they seventh or eighth graders, Andrew? I think it was uh, middle school, seventh and eighth, sixth, seventh seventh and eighth. Okay. So a, a, yeah. a room of middle schoolers and Andrew's talking and, and doing his thing. And, and Shannon Aaron Moore from uh, Weld Like a Girl was doing her thing. And, and the big wigs from Project MFG were doing their thing. And Andrew is has this very unique way of connecting with young people from underserved communities, but, but also the suburbs. Uh, 
and, and he's talking with these kids about their future and uh, about finding something that they're good at. And this one young man, he said, he raised his hand and said, well, what if I'm not good at anything? And Andrew asked the question of him, well, why would you say that? Very simple, easy question. And he said, well, that's what I've been told my entire life. And I'm getting a little choked up just even talking about it, man. <laughs> it's the first time on the podcast I'm getting choked up. Uh, every single adult in the room, we just shoulders slumped. We hung our head. And the way you were able to build him back up in that moment, the things yeah. that you said to him, Andrew, yeah. not only changed his life, but everybody else in the room, you affected their outlook for the rest of our lives. And, 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 so, I, and, and I've been you. that kid. Yeah, no, man. Yo, I and and I really appreciate, you know, the opportunity. I appreciate, you know, um the fact that that not only did that touch you, but you're able to speak about it on you know multiple platforms. Um, but that's you know. In that moment, I saw myself, number yeah. one, feeling those feelings as that same kid, but I also saw him being able to be vulnerable enough and transparent enough to say that. You know what I'm saying? Oh, because for sure. As much as I was in, you know, the streets and I had like this hard exterior that I built for myself, you know. I still wouldn't have been brave enough to say that in that room full of people. So number one, I felt like, you know, I had to be the person that I wish I would have had, you know, and if he was brave enough to be that transparent, I'm going to be brave enough to be that transparent and let you know, like, yo, I was this kid. Here's how you can do it. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, after that, like I watched how, you know, everybody kind of lit up and then everybody like you said not not just the the parents and the teachers in the audience but the other students around that probably were feeling the same way but weren't able to express it and they yeah. saw like okay if he matters so do i and then they started you know interacting more and like you know it's it was you know something that i was blessed to be able to be in a space to have that moment with all of the people and you know I don't I I try to stay as humble as as <laughs> as possible but you know I do a tour and it it's not that that is not unusual right so after every tour stop I get an email or I get you know a text or I get you know a comment on my LinkedIn when I put up recaps um with another story that's similar you know and you know people are really coming and shedding tears and you know getting goosebumps and we're really really connecting and i think that you know it's definitely impacting our industry but it's also impacting you know the world and in united states definitely as a nation like how many more people feel like this is something where they belong even if yeah. they felt like they've never belonged in anything else before dude i i've had goosebumps since we started talking um <laughs> It's, it's amazing. Uh, 
as again, the guy who worked in the background, all I did was stand at the door as they were walking out and the high fives that they were giving, right? They, they were just so pumped after that. It was, it was a, a magical moment and one that I've been able to bring with me back to my home state, to my town, to my city, to the school districts here locally. Um, and hopefully we can get you here on, on your tour, uh, talking with some of the, the youth here uh, coming up. So Elevate oh, Ed, yeah. Arizona, I'm, I'm talking to you right now. Uh, <laughs> let's get Andrew booked. Um, so Andrew, uh, again, thanks for being on. And I always struggle with what to call you. Do I call you the MFG? Do Man, I I'm still trying Drew? to figure it out myself. Do I know? call you AC? <laughs> Do I call you Andrew? So I'm going to use different names throughout the episode based on where, where we're going with the conversation. Uh, but usually we talk about uh, culture of an organization and, and leaders for organizations walk the listeners through uh, their cultural journeys. Today's show is going to be a little bit different. Uh, I actually wrote some questions today um, that I, I really want to hear your thoughts on. So this is a, a bit of a special episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Are you good with that, Drew? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So the first question I came up with, and it's kind of a softball, but uh, <laughs> let's let's go anyway. Um <clears throat> How can companies support or, or how can companies balance, I guess is a better way to put it, the need for efficiency and productivity when creating a positive and supportive environment for, for their employees? And, and, and talk about some of your experiences that you've had uh, in, in the different organizations that you've been in and, and what you've seen out of that. Oh, absolutely. And I think that the first thing we have to do is kind of look at um, those two things as uh, working hand in hand, right? <laughs> so a lot of people at the top level, when I go speak to companies and like do like culture audits and stuff like that, um, a lot of times they feel like when you invest in one, you lack in the other, right? So if I yeah. invest in more time off or I invest in uh, swing shifts, um, and I have this work environment or I invest in things like uh, tuition reimbursement or upskilling or, you know, better benefits, then I'm going to lose out on productivity because people are going to be taking more time off or, you know, whatever it may be. But they actually work hand in hand. And when we invest in the culture and we invest in the people, then we see that productivity actually rises. Right. And people feel like they're a part of the company in a way that they don't want to take a bunch of time off of work because they feel like this is a part of them as well. And they don't want to let this company down because this company is showing up for them. Right. Absolutely. When I first when I first got into um like upper level, I would say kind of mid-level um, manufacturing positions. I went from, you know, like a foreman or, you know, shift lead. Um, I was working second and third shift and second right. and third shift at this time was pretty much notorious for um, like a revolving door. You know what I'm saying? First yep. shift would be the people that set the machines up, proof out everything, you know, problem solve, 
take care of whatever. And then second shift, we're just hoping to keep these buttons getting pushed. Right. And we're just hoping <laughs> that, that we're just pushing out parts. Right. Yep. And, and, you know, they would, they would pretty much go to um, staffing agencies to fill these ranks and just fill them with whoever they could just to press the button. And there was a high turnover rate. The productivity wasn't good at all. You know, there'd be high scrap because the training wasn't there. The familiarity wasn't there. And people were getting a couple of checks and then leaving. Right. Mm -hmm. So we'd have to start that process over. And and companies were sacrificing that just to keep the machines going. And it's like, okay, we can be a lot more effective and efficient because it costs you a lot to a find a worker but then onboard that worker and you probably don't see a roi on that worker for 90 to 100 in 80 days right yep. and then they say you really don't it doesn't hit your bottom line until like year two or three yeah right so what you want to do is get these people in and then retain them but if we've got a constant revolving door just to make a couple of parts um and keep your machines going then we're bleeding money right so what can we do better so i asked if i could have more control um over the hiring process once i got into that position especially on second shift yeah and what i did was i started reaching to different places i started reaching out to the fatherhood support group that was that i was a part of um the battered women's shelter um that my sister volunteers time at um through the wyman group um, and you know, the, the juvenile detention center, and I would get workers from these places and I would do things like, you know, have an hour swinging shift where, you know, if I know that it's a single mother or a single father that comes from an area like I grew up in and they don't have a car, it's going to take them three buses to get to, yeah to hear and you know if you've ever ridden a bus or had to transfer or whatever stuff happens right Absolutely. number one number two if you've got a small child and you know child care is a huge issue all across america mm -hmm. but if you've got a small child and you're the only parent and you've got to work a second shift job then that means you're gonna have to get that child off of the bus you know settled into home or whatever snacks after school whatever happens but i came from one of those areas so i understand like you know that's a major even if it's a half a mile walk from your bus stop to your house in certain places that could mean life or death or that could mean you know traumatic things happening so if this mom or dad is an hour late but i know that when they get here they're one of my best workers and they're going to work their butt off why not let them make up the hour on the back side of the shift without you know we had this old point system where if you're tardy, you get a point. And then if you're like an hour late, you get three points. And after nine points, you get suspended. And it's like, we're losing really great workers, you know yeah. what I'm saying, to, to this yeah. point system. <laughs> what if we just relaxed on it? Let me relax on it in my shift, right? So what we started seeing was people not ab even abusing that 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 swing shift. You know, they, they, they had it, but they would still make plans and make arrangements to make sure that they could get there on time as well. And then the pro the productivity started increasing and then retention came because people wanted to stay past the 90 days because they couldn't find that somewhere else. Plus, you know, the benefits and what we're paying. Right. Yeah. So then I said, you know, what if we started teaching 
people what they're doing instead of just saying press this button and measure these these three diameters right mm -hmm. what if we taught them the name of the tool that they're using what if we taught them you know the language that they see coming up and down the screen so you know i would tell people hey if you can give me you know 150 of these parts by this time we're going to take an hour and i'm going to teach you what we're doing and i started teaching them like yo this is g code this is you know wow. a vice this is you know whatever we're doing and people again would stay and then you know troubleshooting where you know a lot of times in the second and third shift you don't have the support from engineering department programming department you're pretty much out there so troubleshooting wow. would be just on the shift lead right and there would be a lot of fires to put out with untrained people but the more we're training them now they can take control over their job and how their their night looks and they can see okay this is something small that i can fix because i have a little bit deeper knowledge than just pressing this button yeah. so we can keep machines going right and and downtime was less so i love connect, connecting uh the dots for for employees that's super important great job yeah yeah absolutely and 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 a lot of times with with the employers nothing makes sense but dollars <laughs> you know what i'm saying so yeah. you can tell them all of these different things but if you don't tell them how that affects their bottom line negatively or or positively then yep. you know they 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 hear it but they don't want to all the way listen right so um you know even more so now yeah we're not really competing for workers against each other i think like back in the day when i was coming up in manufacturing it was like you know you're you got this good job here and another company might poach you so they want to keep you there as much as they can yeah. right not these days these days it's not other manufacturers that's poaching people like we're all trying to get what we can get but it's the gig economy it's the comfort of you know uh four day weekends and and work from home you know three days out of the week and you know uh work when you want to those types of things and that's where we're losing the majority of our our workers too right yeah. and the people that are capable to work these jobs so if we start having things like swing shifts and we start looking at our business models as manufacturers, then we can start saying, hey, how can we compete for these workers in a way that mimics what they're going to get? You know what I'm saying? Yep. And I think with the with the adaptation and integration of Industry 4.0, automation, uh, cloud, um, robotics, all of these things are making it a lot easier for us to look at our business models as manufacturers and say hey maybe we can have you know one day a week out of the office or we can have you know some remote work going on in this aspect or that aspect yeah no i i think you're you're you you've hit the nail on the head with that uh i i want to go back to to what you said about uh you know underserved communities and and having to take the bus uh what what role can leaders in our space in, in manufacturing play in addressing not only the skills gap, but the opportunity gap for uh, underserved communities? Yes, man, great question. So I think number one, <coughs> we've got to look at it as um, a historic situation, right? We can't look at people where they are right now and say, you know, that's for them to fix. If they want this job, they've got to get here. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Um, because now 
again, you know, I hate to keep going back onto it, but the gig economy doesn't wait for you to come and put in the application. It'll be wherever you are, whenever you're ready for it and you can yeah. make money. Right. So that's where we're shifting to. So we've got to say as manufacturers, um, we want to remove barriers and most manufacturers um, left the inner cities and left the places where the people in the workforce is most populous. Yep. And they've got to understand, you know, the disconnect that is there physically and then also mentally um, between the populations that need the jobs and can fill these roles and where they are currently. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I've seen a lot of a lot of creative ways that that not only manufacturers, but cities are teaming up to handle this. Right. Um, the quad cities in, in Illinois, there's a pretty big manufacturing community there. John Deere being one of the uh, yeah. large anchor um, communities, uh, manufacturers there in Moline. Um, but they have a live work policy where um, you work for one of these major manufacturers that ascribe to this um, this uh, grant, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you hit certain achievements and them along with the city will put a down payment and closing costs on your home, right? Wow. Exactly. So not only are you getting a job that is going to change your life financially, but also you're breaking generational curses by becoming a homeowner. Right. And you talk about retention. Now, this advanced manufacturer machine is, you know, whatever they might be, are committed to not only your city, but this industry for 15 to 30 years. Right. Through home ownership. So now the city benefits because we're bringing more permanent residents here, which are going to, you know, be taxpayers and, you know, stimulate your economy by shopping and eating out and, you know, enjoying themselves. But also it's keeping these big anchor institutions in your city because they can find the workforce and their homeowners. Right. So, you know, wow. all of the things that beget that. So that's one of the major things that I see that is making waves is that live work policy. And that's where, you know, the industry and, and, you know, government are teaming up and saying, hey, let's work together to work together. Right. And and help serve ourselves and the population at the same time. Um, other wow. things that. Yeah. Really cool. Right. Other things that I'm seeing um, that are really working culture wise are companies that are bringing in people from the great resignation. Right. Mm -hmm. I I don't. I, I don't I don't want to name them, but there are several companies that are very aggressive at hiring mid-level and C-suite management from the pool of people that are resigning from different sectors, right? Yeah. And what I see is that they're replacing HR departments that may have been filled by nepotism, you mm -hmm. know, a lot of times. In our industry, across our industry, we have families that the males will go into the, the shop and then they'll put the females into admin and HR, right? Yep. And typically they're not trained for hiring, which we have a big need for right now. They're more trained for insurance mm -hmm. and saving the company money on things like that, right? So what I'm finding is they're poaching marketing people, they're poaching HR people that know hiring, and they're wow. really bringing in the big range of, they're taking advantage of, of 
the 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 people that are out there that have worked maybe in IT that know how to hire from diverse groups of populations, right? And bring mm -hmm. them in. And they're hiring people that know how to do project management better. So they're specializing and then they're teaching them the manufacturing side, right? As they go. And I think that that is, is a really strategic way to speed the process up. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's genius. Yeah, and that's absolutely. that's something. I mean, the the first, you know, the live work policy. I, I think that works um, for the John Deere's, for the larger manufacturers, right? But but that second suggestion there, that's that's something that any small mom and pop ten person machine shop can do, right? I mean, that's right. that's a strategy that anybody in this industry can employ. One hundred percent. And I mean, I'd even I'd even go back a second and say that small mom and pop shops can do still a live work policy. Like if you think about, if you think about a person staying for 30 years, mm -hmm. right. And then getting a raise, uh, commensurate with cost of living and whatever their skill set may be yep. for those 30 years versus a down payment <laughs> on a home. Right. And if this probably might not be somewhere like a New York or like something crazy, but like, you know, a Nebraska, Iowa, Missouri, even, you yeah. know, $7,500, $10,000, $20,000, extrapolate that over 30 years. And it's not really too much, you know, yeah. that, that you're putting down to keep a worker and to keep a happy worker. And we know happy workers are more productive workers. Right. Absolutely. And when it comes down to possibly being poached somewhere else where they can throw a lot of money at you up front. It's like, yo, these people help me buy a house. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> that's a different type of loyalty, dog. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. That's a great idea. I I had only thought about it in the context of those larger manufacturers, but you're right. Uh, when you break it down it's, dollars and cents wise, it it makes sense, man. It makes sense. And then, and then you know, take it to the next level. What if they are a member of a manufacturing organization? You know what I'm saying? Like an NTMA or Missouri Association of Manufacturers, yeah. uh, something like that. What if there was a pool that people think that you just donated to, right? And then for all of the small manufacturers, small and medium-sized manufacturers, now we've got a pool to draw from that we can do this with. You know what I'm saying? Wow. And and I think that, you know, it's it's revolutionary. It's a disrupting thing, but it's something that, can definitely change the state of where we are and how we get workers and then how we keep them more importantly. And then yeah. if they do job hop between people that are, you know, in the, in the, the Metro area that is all ascribed to this thing, like that's okay. Right. Yeah. Like a lot of manufacturers say, you know, I don't want to train somebody for someone else to get them. Well, they're probably training someone for someone else to get you too, right? Especially if they're newer in the industry. I know a lot of people that started at one place and through working there, they find out, hey, maybe I don't want to make automotive products. Maybe I want to get into aerospace. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And that's okay. And I've seen it the other way too. I came in the game just getting whatever job I could in aerospace. The tolerances are too tight. It's too much paperwork. I want to do something a little bit easier. I want to go to automotive. As yeah. long as we populate the pond, we'll always have people that, you know, are working for us. And then I go back to it again. 
if I want to do aerospace and I'm working automotive, I might not be as productive as if I went to aerospace because I'd rather be over there. You know what I'm saying? And vice versa. So you want the best people for the job, not just the people that ended up here. Absolutely. You got to get the right people in the right seats and, and align the the values, the behaviors, the skill set with with what they want to do. Right. Yes. Yes. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, Andrew, let's let's talk a little bit more about your background um, and your, your pre manufacturing life. Right. And yeah. talk to me a little bit about how manufacturers and manufacturing leaders can create that environment that promotes growth and development for all human beings, regardless of background or experience. Yeah. So, I mean, I heard you guys heard a little bit in the intro. And if you've, you know, you're a follower of mine, um, then you probably hear me talk about it a lot. But I was I was the the kid with no hope. You know what I'm saying? And not only hope for myself, but like hope for humanity. Like I didn't really see, um, you know, any niche for me in life. And because of that, I, you know, was making a lot of wrong decisions and I didn't really value other people's life at all either. So, you know, I see that angst in a lot of youth today. Like when you turn on the news, it seems like more heinous crimes are being committed by younger and younger people. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, it's any city that you travel to now. And it seems like, you know, there's just a lot of, a lot of hopelessness, but we got a lot of jobs over here. (laughs) And it's like, it's like, you know, we just have to connect the two. And, um, you know, I was a person like that. And I know that a lot of manufacturers at the same time are wanting to fill positions and needing to fill positions. I think we got a million open jobs right now Mm -hmm. and they're scared to go either into the community or even like, you know, work with felons and second chance people. And it's like, we're really cutting our legs off in a race. You know what I'm saying? And, and I think that once we start working with community organizations or organizations that specialize in these pockets of people that manufacturing hasn't um, not necessarily catered to, but reached out to, um, then it can make that a whole lot easier, right? Um, There are groups that provide insurance for felons, right? Bonding insurance. There's groups that work with, you know, all of these different pockets of life on things like the soft skills and all of the stuff that, you know, a company can't teach that you can align with to start filling these ranks, right? I went from feeling hopeless and feeling like, I wasn't a part of, you know, the fabric of our society other than, you know, really being a criminal and manufacturing gave me the opportunity to shed all of that. And not only shed all of that, have a mountain of possibilities that as long as I wanted to climb them was there for me, you know? And I think that, I mean, there was a lot of obstacles along the way that didn't need to be there. But I think that, you know, A, on the manufacturer side, on the industry side, we need to be more vocal about the opportunities in a way that people want to hear them and receive it well. 
Mm-hmm. And on the community side, we need to hear about these things and shed our past thoughts and, you know, uh, misconceptions and start taking advantage of some of these opportunities that present themselves, you know, no matter where they're coming from. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's here. And I think that the way work is going to start looking in the future and the way the world is going to look, it's going to depend on people having these 21st century skills. Yeah, I agree. So Andrew, how big of a role does unconscious bias play, do you think, in in hiring practices today in manufacturing when it comes to not only those underserved communities, but uh, people with uh, felony backgrounds and, and and things of that nature. How how big of a part to do those practices play right now, and and what's the effect on the industry? Uh, other than, like you said, cutting our legs off in in this race, what what are some of the other impacts? It's huge. Great question. Um, well, number one these unconscious bias and these blind spots that we have that we've developed, you know, over time are um, definitely barriers of entry. And I would say not even barriers of entry, but they can be the very thing that turns people and whole communities off of coming here, period. Right. And, um, you know, personal example, my name is Andrew James Joseph Crow. Right. Mm-hmm. And on, on a resume, a lot of people think that I'm a white male. And even on the phone, you know, when I do phone interviews, they used to think that. And then what I there's times where I've been offered jobs and I would show up to work and. I wouldn't have the job anymore when they saw me. Right. Wow. And and it's like. I even got to the point where on the phone, I would say, hey, I'm black. I've got gold teeth and I'm a felon. You know what I'm saying? So they can make that decision. (laughs) So they can make that decision. But it's like, you know, none of those things speak to the skills that I have and that I'll bring to your industry. And as a matter of fact, if you give me the opportunity to speak to my skills, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at how I can speak to what I can do in this industry and specifically what I can do um, for your for your job. Right. Yeah. And. Once we get past those things, once we, you know, look past, you know, felonies, like these types of things are keeping a majority of our population out of it. And we are right now one of the most policed societies ever. So more people have records than ever before. We're one of the highest uh, police societies now than ever. And we are and this is this is you know, beyond race, beyond gender, beyond any of those things. So we're saying that we want to fill a million jobs and we're cutting out, you know, 35, 40% of the population because of that. Right. So what I'm seeing that, that is changing, you know, some of these things and giving people a shot is if you do have a traditional process of applications and hiring, take that box off of there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So find out the person who the person is first, you know, maybe still run a background check if that's something that you need and address that after the fact If you say this is a character, this is a person that could benefit to our, you know, culture 
and then have the opportunity for that conversation to come up. But don't disqualify someone from even coming in because of a box that they check. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely, hundred percent. So, how how could uh, trade associations, community organizations, educational institutions uh, develop the skills uh, of of that community, that incarcerated or or previously incarcerated community, uh, to to help get our industry that that workforce that we need at a different level than our traditional let's go and talk to uh, schools, which again, you do very well. And, and it's mm-hmm. a big part of workforce development, but how can we, how can these trade associations and community organizations, state, local governments, educational institutions uh, develop that skill set with, with that community? Um, so we've got to get out in front of them, right? We cannot say that they'll come to us right and the way that we get out in front of them is get in front of the people that are spending the most time so i call them mini influencers everybody's got an influencer in their life whether it be a parent or a guidance counselor or a parole officer or a workforce development person or whatever that might be so find out which organizations are already present in the places that you need to get to whether that's training programs in the prisons, whether that's the counselors in the prisons, whether that's the parole board or whoever it may be. And we don't have the luxury of hoping that they'll come. We've got to be the people that lay one foot in front of the other and start marching towards that, right? If we rely too much on the trade schools, there's a good chance that the trade school is run by a dean that doesn't know anything about advanced manufacturing, right? right? I worked for a trade school for four years and we specialized in um all of the different trades right and most of the people were from academia or they worked their way up through the ranks of teaching a specific trade right and typically that trade would have been automotive or you know construction or electrical so when they would do tours they would speak on these other departments like really really great and then when they would come to the advanced manufacturing department they didn't know enough about it to really speak on it in a way that somebody would want to sign up for these classes right right and if you think about a disadvantaged person that has already went up a lot of different obstacles and probably failed and that's why they are where they are they're going to look for something that they can enter society with the let with the 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 smoothest transition as possible mm-hmm. and if it's just up to general trades or it's up to just whatever job then there's a better chance they're going to pick one that they're more familiar with they might yeah. know somebody that works in construction they might know somebody that worked in you know uh their grandpa or uncle was a plumber or you see a plumbing van or electric van right but we don't have that type of visibility um to where you can just point out a machinist or a programmer or an engineer like that and we don't have the amount of advocates in places that can speak to our industry in a way that makes people want to get there so we've got to take it upon ourselves to either be those advocate in those places or teach those advocates how to advocate for us if that makes sense absolutely so we've got to get in those spaces and we've got to get in front of you know the people that are helping them make these decisions and then make it easier for them to make the decision facing us right and yep. and i think we've got that advantage as someone that had to re-enter society and manufacturing was a major reason why i was able to not only re-enter society but stay out right yeah. like 
my thing was okay you know i'm re-entering society but i've got this felony on me so that's going to cut out a lot of the jobs that i can get that are paying a decent amount plus i've got to pay restitution Right. Plus, I've got to pay to be on parole, right? And every time that my parole officer wants to drop me for uh, drop his drug test, every time they want to drug test me, I've got to pay $150 on top of paying my parole officer $100 every visit and right. paying my $250 or whatever it is restitution, right? Yep. So to stay out, I've got to be able to pay my rent pay you know if you got kids out of wedlock probably if you're in this position mm -hmm. child support you gotta pay you know to live so electricity food all of those different things you gotta pay your restitution pay your po pay if they drop you're already a thousand dollars in the hole every month a, every month right or more right yeah. so for me for instance i was going to the to the po Every once a week, I had to check in, and they dropped me every single week, right? Wow. So, yeah. So, so you know, it had to take a job that would pay me nineteen dollars an hour at the time, or whatever it may be, plus benefits to be able to do that. And when you think about what's available for you know felons, usually it's fast food or yep. you know like some menial job, you know whatever. And we need people to work these jobs, so don't take it any type of way. But it's typically not something that's going to pay enough to do all of that plus survive. So what right. you get is you get a high recidivism rate where people are reoffending because they're supplementing that income with whatever street activity got them locked up in the first place, right? Yeah. And and so, you know, manufacturing allowed me to start in a place where I'm making enough money number 1 or at least close to it and then number 2 I've got access to overtime hours cuz there was always work, right? So yeah. I can work as much as I wanted to in this one place and stay away from the riffraff, plus be able to pay restitution and all of that. So it's like, let's actually give people a shot, you know, yeah. and this is this is an opportunity, number one, but it's not just a regular opportunity like this one can really, really save your life. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, it. it not only it saved lives, but it creates a change. It creates it, exactly. And then I think like, so I think about it like this. So before IMTS, and this has nothing to do with IMTS. I love AMT. They're great to me. You know, just, this is just what it is. So yeah. IMTS is in Chicago. Right. And mm -hmm. I saw a lot of weird comments from people as you know the excitement for IMTS is growing and they were like oh it's downtown Chicago should I bring my gun I don't know if I want to go and it's like man y'all are the people with the jobs <laughs> so if, so if your mentality was just a little bit different you guys are the shop owners mm -hmm. so if you were hot this is the places that you want to go visit you live in these cities you want to go downtown for the baseball game and be safe what if you were hiring people what if yeah. you were actually changing your mentality and all the people that you're scared of actually had jobs and now they're not feeling like there's scarcity and they have to rob the the haves because there's haves and have nots. 
they have too. You know what right. I'm saying? And they've got a way to, to feed their families and all that stuff through the job that you provided them. And now our cities are safer and they're cleaner and the schools are better because of the tax dollars. And, and we all have a good place to live. And your kids are safe when they grow up because these other little kids had a good job as well. And, you know, the community is better for it. Right. Yep. So instead of looking down on these pockets, it's like, how do we use our resources that we have to help each other? Yeah. Absolutely. I, it, it's amazing to me. And, and we talked a little bit before the show, uh, Drew, about um, the the notion of uh, privilege. Right. And, and we were talking about uh, specifically my son has a makerspace in his school. Right. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, the access that he has to a program like that in third grade is just astronomical. You don't find that in a lot of communities, in a lot of schools, anywhere in at the elementary school level. And and we're very privileged to to have our kids go through this this uh, uh, program and, and this school, and and we're very thankful for it. And, and the reason I'm bringing this up is. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about you. You were talking about the school that you worked at and and the importance of that program, uh, the advanced manufacturing. Let's talk a little bit about dual enrollment. And, and mm -hmm. I, I bring this up because it, it's such an important aspect of uh, getting the young people uh, uh, not only a high school degree, in areas, but also that first year uh, of uh, of post-secondary school. Talk yes. to us about the concept of dual enrollment and its importance. Just real yes, quick. Yes, 100%. Yeah. So um, for again, for people who aren't familiar with me, uh, up until April of last year and for the past four years prior, I had been um, the lead instructor at uh, the local community college, the tech college here. Uh, where we did offer um, dual enrollment for our um, advanced manufacturing uh, associates. And we also offered bachelor's degrees, right? Wow. And the, the crazy part about dual enrollment <clears throat> is that it's not only a barrier remover, but it's an accelerator, right? There's a mm -hmm. lot of kids when I go into these extremely urban or extremely rural populations that have what it takes to get into college or go to college or be successful in college, but it's the financial barrier that they feel like will not let them enter into, you know, a school of higher learning, right? And take their life to the next level. And with opportunities like a dual enrollment program, not only do you get a taste of school, but you get to knock some of that out you know, along the way, and it removes that financial barrier. When you stack that with a trade like advanced manufacturing, there's an even bigger possibility that that next year that you work, you'll be sponsored by a company in our field because we want workers that much, right? Mm -hmm. And if there is a opportunity, if someone's listening to this right now, and you know that there are dual enrollment programs, I challenge you to be an auxiliary on top of that. Look into your 
local trade schools and your local community colleges. And if you can see who's a part of the program and see if you can specifically reach out to that student and help them pay for that second year of their education um, via some type of internship or work agreement. Right. Mm -hmm. Because this is the way that we can take not only the mental barrier from themselves, but from their parents as well. I'm a parent of, uh, you know, my oldest son is actually about to go to University of Memphis this year. Congratulations. That's awesome. Man, that's so exciting. He got the acceptance letter yesterday. <laughs> that was his his top school, man. And and it's been a journey to say the least. You that's know what I'm awesome. saying? Um, but super excited for him. But that is one of the main things as a parent is like, okay, now how do we pay for it? Right. Yeah. And some parents even discourage their kids from taking that next leap because the finances aren't there and they don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. But if we can remove those barriers, that associate's degree becomes a bachelor's degree in, you know, mechatronics or, you know, some <laughs> type of engineering. And then that benefits our industry even more. And then they've got now a high paying job and then they've got a, an opportunity to get that bachelor's degree turned into a master's degree. Right. And yeah. now not only are we providing career opportunities, but we're providing the opportunity to really, really change the landscape of our industry in a bigger way. Yeah, absolutely. You're hundred percent correct. So Andrew, with, with that, what does the future of the manufacturing industry look like? And, and what, what part does company culture and, and workforce development play in in shaping that future? Great question. Well, now I'll start with this. If we want to have a future, <laughs> then company culture is going to have to play the most important role, the most integral role in everything. Right. So um, and, and culture is not just, you know, uh, diversity. It's, right. you know, access to. Um, you know, a better life. It's access to a comfortable life. Right. Yep. And the people that we're going to have filling these positions, millennials and Gen Z, I call them the screenagers mm -hmm. and the generation. <laughs> oh, you, you got to trademark that, man. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. 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 I, I, I've been hearing it getting tossed around too. I got to hurry up. But, um, but the screenagers, right. So I'm a millennial, the millennials, we've adapted technology, right? We, yeah. we, uh, have the cell phones and all that stuff. We, we, we adapt to it and we started, you know, adapting our lives to it, but the screenagers and under have integrated technology into their lives. Yeah. So they live, breathe wearable technology, the things that they, they eat, the way that they eat, the way that they work out, the way that they live, everything is technology, right? So if we don't make it more easy to integrate technology into these jobs, then we won't build the culture that they're looking for in a workplace and we'll have to outsource this stuff again. Right. Yeah. So that's on a major scale on a smaller scale. It's going to look like America does. Right. So if you go to Walmart right now or Target or even the mall or those are still around, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you walk outside your door and you go anywhere you know, it really doesn't, for the most part, look like one way, you know, where yeah. we're more than any other time in history, you know, a melting pot of people. Right. And our industry right now doesn't reflect that. But right. 
as we grow and as we head into you know the new wave and the the next industrial revolution it's going to reflect that a lot more because if you just look at like how much of consumers we are right now people are really materialistic even during the pandemic when people weren't working amazon had had massive profits right mm-hmm. and etsy is a huge billion dollar you know app or whatever it is right now pinterest right mm-hmm. most of the people that are making a lot of money via youtube and digital commerce are people that are teaching people how to make or create things right yeah. so just the wave of makers and creators are really really bubbling and popping up so let's give them a platform and a place to be able to do it and do it in a way that you know helps all of us right so i see that coming i see you know um you know boutique manufacturing shops machines are getting cheaper it's easier to you know get on job boards and get work and sustain yourself um creating is being a lot easier and if these small mom and pops and major manufacturers aren't starting to change the way that their business model is working. This new generation is going to disrupt it. And there is, it's just like right now we're, we're in the manufacturing version of Napster. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I haven't heard that in a while, but yeah, I I hear you. Yeah. So, so we're in Napster right now where the technology is changing to a point where it's in the hands of the people that want to do what they want to do with it. Right. So you can afford a tabletop CNC. You can afford, you know, that to make you enough money A 3d printers cheap. You can use those to make enough money and to make enough widgets till you, till you can buy a $50,000 machine. And then that turns into a hundred thousand dollar machine. Right. And, and now we've got it to where if these processes don't change, we'll turn, the industry on its head and the record companies, so to speak, are going to have to figure out how to compete with streaming and how to yeah. figure out the new wave of many creators. Right. So and, is that, and, is that the, the gig economy version of manufacturing is, is going on Alibaba and buying a, a $3,000 tabletop CNC machine and a, a little bit of material and selling, you know, plaques on on etsy is is that that the gig economy and manufacturing yes and even to a bigger extent i feel like you know once the once we have you know the security of the cloud down and all of that stuff there's going to be little rogue programming houses where you know you can outsource not just you know little cute trinkets and stuff but like actual turbines and like pieces that go into major you know, pieces of our life. And I think that it's going to come to the point where the youth are going to understand something that we weren't great at and the pandemic exposed it, they're going to be able to pivot. They're going to be able to make, you know, widgets here, their own product here when it's slow. They'll know how to move and adapt to these different things because that's all they've done their whole life is adapt to integrate, again, technology and then adapt to, these kids have seen things that we haven't seen. Stock market crash two different times. <laughs> Pandemic. You know what I'm saying? Like they are literally adapters. All of the the all of the the solid institutions that they believed in are like they're getting the wool pulled over their eyes, right? Yeah. So so they are adapters and they don't really trust major institutions anymore, right? Yeah. So they're going to figure out how to do it themselves before they align with 
the old systems. I, yeah, I, that's amazingly insightful. Yeah, um, and then I mean, and then you look at you know companies like Zometry and all the other job mm-hmm. boards that are popping up. The access to work is different. Yeah, right. So where we used to have to knock on doors or make pieces and you know do different things like now, and it might not be perfect as we speak. I know a lot of people have a lot of you know different feelings about these job boards, but it's a work in progress, right? And it's an indicator of a new way for us to do business. And once these things start getting integrated, if a kid can choose, you know, buy a $100,000 Tesla and take jobs off of Uber (laughs) and Uber Eats or get a $50,000 lathe and a $50,000 mill and still work in my own house and I can create and pull these jobs off of this job board, that looks a whole lot more sexier to me. You Absolutely. Know what I'm Absolutely. No, I, I yes, a hundred percent. So, so Andrew, last real question for you. I've got another one at the end, but give us some some shameless plugs right now. What provide <laughs> me and and the listeners here some examples of companies that have successfully created culture that promotes workforce development and innovation in our industry. Give us some shameless plugs. Um, so I, I'll say I kind of make my money by doing that. So I don't want <laughs> to, I don't want to shoot myself in the foot, but, um, I will shout out one person and I'm pulling him up right now. Um, Alex Marcy at Corso Systems. Um, I made a post and Alex talked about how he was one of the people that were not only intentional, but put one foot in front of the other. And his board and his company looks like diverse America. And yes. And those are the types of things that are making the biggest waves and the biggest changes. If you want to see your ROI right away, be aggressive and be intentional about doing these different things, right? Put diversity and equity into your, into your mission statement, right? Love it. Put it into the actual, how do you adapt it into the cultures is day by day, right? Day by day. If you have an old machinist that, knows all the setups and knows all the programs. He doesn't get a pass on the diversity because you need him there. You right. know what I'm saying? Make an example out of that gentleman. Either he retrains and fixes it or he's out of the door and watch when the head falls, the rest of the body goes, right? Yeah. And you'll clear that stuff up really, really fast. Make hires in administrative positions. So when your board has more women on there that actually have a voice, when your board has more black and brown people that can actually speak, then you start seeing that trickle down into the rest of the culture of the shop, right? And I think that when we make bold statements like that, when we when we actually walk in the purpose instead of just saying it, then that's where the actual results will come from. And I'll just say this, because it is Black History Month, I don't know when this is coming out, 
But <laughs> but an example of that is like I've seen a lot of brands in our space that talk to diversity talk. They'll mm-hmm. take the two black people that do work in their their shop, put them on the pamphlets. Yep. Um, you know, the one woman, they'll take her picture and blast it all over the place. Yep. But during Black History Month, you don't make a black history post. Right. You know, and it's like if I'm a worker at that company or that's a potential company that I'm looking to work for, yeah. and diversity is one of the things that I that is important to me, which on the minds of 75% of millennials and generation Z the screenagers, in a recent poll, they said that diversity and inclusion is important where they work, right? Mm. So if that's not there and you're not doing things like celebrating Black History Month, then as a black worker, I know you're not going to celebrate me, yeah. right? So no matter how many times you put me on a on a pamphlet or put my picture in the break room, if we're not doing the things that are important to all of black culture, then it's all performative. Yeah. And that's also a blind spot that will shoot you in your foot as well, because then we go back to the community and we say, hey, all of this stuff is fake over here. Don't go work over here. You know what right. I'm saying? Absolutely. And then that perpetuates the problem that we can't get around. Yep, absolutely. And for those listeners, it is this episode will be released uh, on the 23rd. So uh, it will it still fall in the month of February. So All right. Well, uh, happy Black History Month, my happy dude. Happy Black History <laughs> Month, my man. Um, so last question for you. And, and this is uh, uh, one that I didn't send you ahead of time. Um, you're very blessed with having such an amazingly supportive wife. Um, Whitney is, uh, I knew I truly made it it, uh, on social media when your wife started following me. (laughs) Um, tell us about the support system that, that you have in this adventure that you've been on because it can't be easy. You've been on the road. Talk to us a little bit about a behind the scenes and, and Whitney and, and what goes on back there. Yeah, no. Um, number one, everything that you said is correct. Shout out to Whitney. She is, um, you know, the, the, the rock to all this stuff and making it happen. Um, and like you said, if you get to her, you got to me. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody listening, that's the way in. Um, (laughs) but, um, it is tough. And, and, and I think that, you know, our bond is different. We had our first kid when we were teenagers, you know, so we've been together through ups and downs in prison and, you know, we didn't have healthy um, role models of relationships. I was not a product of a married household, neither was she. Um, And so, you know, we stuck it out and made sure that, you know, we were not going to be what we came up under, you know what I'm saying? And because of that, and it might be, unorthodox because I don't really see other people doing it, but any trade show you see me at, you're most likely going to see my (laughs) wife and my kids there as well. You know what I'm saying? Um, Most of my tour stops, as long as school's not in session, um, my kids are the kid that the people that are throwing out the t-shirts when, you know, the audience members are answering questions and, you know, throwing a bunch of the, the giveaways um, out. So everybody's got a job, you know, this is a family effort. 
Um, and you know, she keeps my my schedule together, my calendar <laughs> together, my head together, and you know, prays over me, you know, and I think that's the most important part is having that solid foundation from you know your family um more than anything and if it ever got to the point where i had to choose between the two then you know obviously manufacturing would have to take a back seat for sure and i think she'll make that decision for me but uh, <laughs> but we've been blessed man we've definitely been blessed to be able to um be in the position that we're in i'm blessed to be able to take my kids uh, and my wife with me um, to not only see the impact that we're having on communities that look like us, but also the world. Right. So yeah. I try to act like my kids, you know, don't travel in school, but I'm not going to lie. They do um, <laughs> <laughs> some of the tour dates that really, really like. So, you know, <laughs> we we make it work. So um, in that vein, uh, they came to IMTS in Chicago. Yep. And this was like the first week of school. So they went to the first day of school and then they were out for, <laughs> for like the week. They made the first appearance with the first clothes on. And then we were out for like the week after that. Um, and then when we came back to school, we had the opportunity, you know, to sit with the teachers. And I was concerned, you know, that they miss a lot. And my daughter's teacher was like, you know what? We really love the fact that she had that opportunity when she came back, our unit was on space and on astronauts. Uh -huh. And she, I don't know if you remember, but downstairs at the student summit, they had an actual astronaut yeah. and uh, mock Apollo 13, I think it was yep. um, spaceship. So she, and it was right across from my uh, edge factor booth. So she really got to immerse herself in that. And they were like the insight and the fact that she had that experience and was able to share it with the class, enhance the lesson. And most of these kids aren't going to be able to have that experience in a lifetime or actually connect the material to what we're learning in real time. So, you know, take her in on as many as you want to, and we'll build the lesson plan around what she sees. <laughs> she can help me teach the class. But, but it was just amazing to have that experience and then also know that, you know, it's the the gift that keeps on giving right because yeah. as a little black girl seeing that at this age you know now she's exposed to a whole bunch of different ideas and possibilities and then she comes back to her class that she can share that and now she's planning that in their minds as well so that's um, amazing yeah man it's a it's a it's a blessing to be able like i said and you know if you see us we roll deep <laughs> well and i will say uh, for anybody who's listening that only follows andrew on linkedin check out his instagram because as <laughs> compelling as his linkedin is the vulnerability that you show on on your instagram and your kids and and everything yeah. whitney it's amazing and and you're just you're you're finding ways to connect with people that uh, I, anybody can learn from. So props to you, man. Um, I love it. Andrew, give us some parting thoughts. If you have any, what, what would you like to close the, this episode out by saying? I want to do two things. Actually, I want to go back to what, who's, what companies are doing it right. I want to shout out Mastercam and I should have done that. Mastercam has 
probably one of the most diverse teams from their marketing department to education department to you know the people that are making it happen they've mm -hmm. also got a dei council that they started themselves and are very very active in the community and in their own uh ranks with you know making change and figure out how to sew into these things as well and you know they they make it a mission of theirs uh to push our community into places our industry into these communities yeah. um so shout out to mastercam for making it a priority and walking the walk um and then for parting words man i always you know ride with the fact that genius is equally distributed and opportunity is not um yeah. we are the gatekeepers we've got the opportunity to change that and provide platforms and spaces for the people that are the geniuses that haven't been able to to express their genius we are the most beautiful expression of that so uh let's remind ourselves of that every day and know that we've got the privilege as advanced manufacturers to go find those creators and give them a place to create so let's make these places and these spaces and these cultures here available for everybody and let's do the work to go show them our beautiful industry and how we can plug them in and polish them and take them to the next level my god that <laughs> i i got nothing after that jeez um <laughs> mic drop yeah exactly this is this has been andrew and and listeners this has been one of the most uh impactful conversations that i've had uh so far on on this podcast um and, and thank you andrew uh for for being on today and and taking us through this uh that's a wrap for today's episode uh, of the manufacturing culture podcast everybody Thank you for joining us on this journey with our very, very special guest, Andrew Crow. Yes. Drew's message of empowerment and innovation in the manufacturing industry is truly inspiring. And we hope that you all out there listening found it as powerful and impactful as, as I did. Uh, I've had goosebumps for almost two hours now. Uh, <laughs> be, for, be sure to check out Drew's digital curriculum. Uh, the TV show Clash of Trades uh, from Project MFG. And if you have the opportunity to see him live, go see the American Manufacturing Renaissance Tour. It will change your life. Even if you just show up, sit in the back corner, uh, just watch how Andrew interacts with with the next generations, the screenagers. Um, <laughs> if you have any questions for Drew, any comments uh, about the episode, questions for me, please feel free to reach out to us at the manufacturingculturepodcast.com. Join us again next time for another exciting episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast, where we'll continue to explore company cultures in the world of manufacturing. Until then, have a great day and keep making things. Attention manufacturers, are you looking to take your company culture and employee engagement to the next level? Look no further than TCO Strategies. We offer comprehensive company culture assessments 
employee engagement surveys, and leadership development programs designed specifically for manufacturers like you. With our expert team, you'll get the tools you need to understand your employees, improve communication, and drive success. Don't wait. Invest in the future of your business with TCO Strategies today.